I mean, here's a guy that criticizes everybody, whoever they take. He's got the answers to uh, who you should take and who you shouldn't take. And all of a sudden, he's an expert. He's in our paper two days ago telling us who we have to take. We're back here on the first team. I'm Joe DeLeon, joined by former NFL QB and founder of the Sims Complete QB, Matt Sims. No Ryan Roberts today. He is at Disney World, I think, but he's on vacation. He's enjoying himself before the craziness of the NFL draft hits (laughs) at the start of next week. Today, we've got a special show for you. We have another great guest. This time, we have NFL draft analyst from NFL Network, Daniel Jeremiah, joining us later on in the show. But for the beginning part of the show, Matt, we're going to do a little bit of a team needs exercise ahead of the draft. I feel like we spend so much time talking about the players without really assessing the top 10 picks and who they could be drafting based on what those significant needs are or if they're even addressable at those spots. We're going to dive into it. Matt, how are we doing today? Doing great, brother. How are you, man? Uh, I'm I'm excited. The draft is right around the corner. And look, I got to be honest, I'm having a little bit of a fanboy moment having Daniel Jeremiah on at the end of the show. I met him once when I was an intern at NFL Network. I met him once, didn't have an interaction with him, was just in a meeting at the same time as him. So it's it's (laughs) cool that we've come full circle that he's coming on the show and and we get to talk to him. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I love the the Clippers shirt today. I'm rocking my Ohio State shirt today here, <laughs> all right, because of my boy Kyle McCord kicking butt in spring right now. Um, but, yeah, everything's good. And good for Ryan, too, getting a little bit of a break uh, yeah. for himself because that dude, he works hard and he's uh, he's great at his craft and, and he deserves it, even though I don't know if he's really having a break at Disney World with his kids. But, you know, he's still having a good time, I hope. Well, the the funny thing I might add before <laughs> before we start, Matt, he still is texting me about the the prospects that he's watching while he's on vacation, and I keep texting yeah. him, "Go to bed, relax, stop looking at film." But he's yeah. a nut, so he's going to keep doing it. <laughs> he's watching film as he's uh, going on Space Mountain right now. I, I, exactly, exactly. Uh, well, hopefully Ryan enjoys the uh, the vacation. We're going to ask him how it went when he comes back next week. But Matt, let's let's get into it. I want to start off this this conversation with what teams do we know are going to be in a market in the market for a quarterback? We know the top ones. We we know that the Panthers moved up for a reason. We can assume that the Colts are probably going to be one of those teams drafting a quarterback based on what what Ballard has said in some of these press conferences. Uh, The Texans seem to be a bit of a foregone conclusion, but not a guarantee but where the question mark comes into play, Matt, is outside of those confirmed three teams, who's mm-hmm. the fourth? Who is the fourth vying for the fourth quarterback in the top 10? It's the Raiders, it's the Falcons, maybe the Lions. What do you think? Who do you think are some of the teams that we should pay attention to that maybe aren't so obvious? Yeah, I think the Raiders, there's just a weird feeling that I get from them when I look at their roster, when I look at, you know, Josh McDaniel's history as a head coach, right, as an offensive coordinator. I don't really get the feeling uh, that they're going to be in the field for one of these top picks uh, as far as quarterback go. So they're a team that I feel like relies a little bit more heavily on experienced quarterbacks. They got Jimmy Garoppolo. They have Brian Hoyer. You know, he, he's got that New England vibe surrounding him in Las Vegas. So I think they'll go elsewhere with their team needs for right now. Um, a team that strikes me as interesting is definitely the Falcons. Falcons with Desmond Ritter. Not sure if that experiment went exactly the way that they wanted it to this past season. Um, and they signed Tyler Heineke, you know, a good veteran, tough, 
hard-nosed football player that Arthur Smith, I think, will really enjoy having him in that quarterback room. The question I now leave is that, are they a team that will make a push here for one of these QBs? We discussed in past episodes when we were all together, you and Ryan and I, mm. uh, the, the potential of a Hendon Hooker or a Will Levis being drafted to Atlanta because their style of play fits what Atlanta wants to do. They want to run the ball extremely well. They want to pass the ball vertically down the field aggressively when they do. So that would be an interesting take. The other team that I think is really uh, kind of a, a dark horse in the running is potentially the Lions, but also to the Tennessee Titans. I think the Tennessee Titans are in a little bit of a gray area right now with Ryan Tannehill. I don't think the uh, situation last year with Malik Willis went the way that they wanted to, especially bringing Josh Jobs off the streets to play in replacement of him. So they could be a team that I see being a, a player in the quarterback market more so than we think. Yeah, I, I like the Titans being brought up because I think that the the go-to ones seem to be the Falcons and the Raiders. But if we peel back the curtain, I, I really think that there will be an unexpected outcome, like, like just a really random team that might trade in to go get one of these quarterbacks, especially right. maybe to that third spot. Is it somebody like the Tennessee Titans? I would also argue maybe the Washington Commanders are in a maybe. spot where they can pu- pull all the picks together and, and maybe uh, – you know, maybe it's a last-ditch move before the team is sold to make it a little bit more right. valuable to have a young quarterback at the helm. And then the last one I throw in there, Matt, too, is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Are, are they fully yeah. satisfied with, one, Baker Mayfield, and then, two, are they comfortable waiting and hoping that Hendon Hooker is on the board? I believe they're picking at 19. Are they willing to yeah. wait that long for him to be available. And I just, I don't know if that's a guarantee and it might be a little bit risky for them to make that assumption. And if hypothetically, maybe they really like Will Levis and they want to move up to seven or eight or even six to just secure a little bit of a future outlook at that quarterback position. Right. The other interesting team, I think that that could be a player in this market is the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, With their situation with Kirk Cousins, I mean, maybe they're going to be in the field here if one of these guys, for whatever reason, drops later in the the round than they think. If there's a really good football player like a hen and hooker still available, do they pass up a player like that that potentially can be the next, you know, franchise quarterback for them? So they they also could be a player. It's really going to be interesting. Uh, Of course, with a lot of the mock drafts, we have, and some of them, QBs one through five going. And I feel like with the mock drafts and and just kind of how the media builds it up, it seems to never really play out that way ever. So I I do think it's going to be a little bit more turbulent for uh, some of these quarterbacks and their situations. Um, I I really would be shocked if it was uh, one, two, three, four, like some mock drafts have had in the past. Uh, But we'll we'll see how it plays out. And that's why it's great drama. Yeah, certainly a lot of drama. And what factors into that are the teams picking in the top 10 that have other positions of need, and on top of that, (laughs) maybe are desperate to fill some of those needs. So some of the teams that fit that description that we're talking about here, Matt, the first one in my eyes being the Arizona Cardinals. And the way that I look at their situation, they've got a lot of holes on the defensive side of the football. I I think you could go a number of different directions with them taking a defensive tackle if they stay at third. Do they go with Will Anderson? Is this Tyree Wilson? Is this maybe Jalen Carter? And they're willing to take that risk. I just see that the Cardinals are a team that needs to address the defensive side of the football. But most importantly, they're probably going to trade out. 
I, I don't see a circumstance where they don't aggressively pursue some type of a trade partner to benefit from this market of at least what we are perceiving as a hot market for quarterbacks. Yeah. And it definitely seems as we get closer to the draft that the momentum of a trade out is building each and every day. And it seems to be more obvious, too. It's not one of those, you know, they're trying to be sneaky about it. It's going to happen, it seems like. The Cardinals, though, you're right. They need they don't need one position. They need basically everything. So it really is going to be just uh, an interesting dynamic as far as what their first approach is. I, I tend to stay on the defensive side of the football when I think about it, too. Uh, like yourself, um, I, I do see someone as like a Tyree Wilson being uh, someone that would be really interesting if they are picking from number three in that position. Because I do think that he is a game changer. I do think that he's the best rush end available. And I, I think when you're playing in, in that conference, you know, you you got to be able to rush the passer and be aggressive and, and make game changing plays. And I think he's that kind of guy that can do that for them. Yeah, and again, I think just the main thing here with the Cardinals is like they're obviously not taking a quarterback and their most fleshed out side of their roster because of Cliff Kingsbury being there yeah. and his focus was they drafted a lot of receivers. They have a lot of really talented receivers and like I yes. look at the back end guys like Rondell Moore was a second round pick and he's an explosive guy out of Purdue and then they've still got DeAndre Hopkins if he remains an Arizona Cardinal there was this heavy emphasis on running back, this heavy emphasis right. on receiver. You could make the argument, I would also throw in there, Matt, um, maybe they decide that they want to bolster their offensive line a little bit. That's the only other Definitely. position I could see realistically them them addressing here in the top 10. Yeah, I definitely see more of like a trench approach to them that's where I even get interested too with them and the Texans too with D'Amico Ryans and Nick Casario their first imprint on their new football team their new look football team you know I see these teams attacking the trenches pretty aggressively mm. just because of these coaches experience in the past of being successful most of their experience in the past of being successful has been super tough and athletic on the offensive and defensive lines and having depth at those positions. So that's where I find, you know, those teams really putting an emphasis on that uh, as much as they possibly can. So another team outside of these quarterbacks, I will say the Seattle Seahawks might be one of those teams to pay attention to at quarterback. I, I think that as the days have progressed through this process, they've been less connected to quarterbacks, it seems, but right. they have a really good situation for one. I really think that it's it's worth paying attention to because you've got Gino, who's on a, a three-year deal now, I believe. It's a shorter deal. He's getting his money, which is fantastic. But at the same time, he's on the older side. And so he's got that cushion of those three or, three or so years. They can draft somebody like a Will Levis or an Anthony Richardson that's not ready to play, let them sit for two, compete for the starting job in year three, if right. that's the direction that they want to go. So I, I think that's an interesting angle here that maybe isn't talked about as much, but is still on the table. I know one thing, those guys will be shocked when they go to practice with Gino and realize how good dude really is in person. <laughs> so uh, if they do get drafted by the Seattle Seahawks, man, like just be ready. Gino isn't what the media has portrayed him to be in the past. Dude is a baller. Finally got to show it this year, which was great. Um, and Really, for the Seattle Seahawks, I think they're in a great position, too, like the Cardinals, that maybe they are going to get 
a little bit more of like a New England Patriots style here in the draft. They have pick number five and pick number 20. Are they a team that trades out of the first round to get or accumulate more trades either for later in this draft or for next year's draft? Um, because right now I think they're just – they're another team that I think needs a little bit more – uh, of just a, a depth to their football team, more game changers. I think they got a lot of good blue chip type of football players, but they don't have any elite game changing football players mm. right now. So they're a team that I think will be a little bit more aggressive, getting back to their roots, staying on the defensive side of the football, right? But then again, bolstering just their strength as a football team, adding speed and strength, I think is an important thing for Pete Carroll and that staff. And that's where I feel like they're a team that will just kind of can play into really a bunch of different things. I mean, they can go with the Miles Murphy. They can go with Jack Campbell at linebacker, replacing that. You know, they just signed back Bobby Wagner. So it's like it could be one of those things where they're building back into just a little bit of their old mantra that they've had in the past. I mean, even like Joey Porter, uh, Deontay Banks. I mean, all those players I think would be interesting picks for them because they are – uh, they want to be tough. They want to make sure that they play good pass defense. They want to get after the passer, make plays. So that's uh, that's something that I think will be a big factor for them going forward is accumulating picks. I 1,000% agree on on that sentiment that you have right there is that – and like I know that for a listener, it, it might seem vague to say like, oh, they just need to add more depth. They need to add more players. But the reality of the Seahawks, you're 100% right. You look at the roster, the way that it's structured, you've got a bunch of nice young pieces, but – you don't have a lot of elite athletes on the defensive side of the football. Not a lot of big names. I know Tariq Woolen was fantastic this past year, but right. you're, it's a bit of a who's who at times. And I think yeah. that for this team that made the playoffs and was just like a step behind being able to win that playoff game that they had against the 49ers, the way that you get better is, to your point, acquiring more picks, making a selection later on in the first round, and then having some of those second-round picks to go and get – a Jack Campbell who fits their scheme perfectly, a bigger, bulkier linebacker, or uh, if it is a Miles Murphy and then a Deontay Banks is somebody you brought up, a Joey Porter who would make sense later on in the first round. And I would also, the other thing too, the Seattle Seahawks have to be praying, praying that the Cardinals can't find a trade partner. They, right. if they are in a, a situation where the Cardinals don't trade back and they're just like, ah, I don't, I don't really feel what we're getting here. They are lucking out. They hit the lottery because they're then the next most likely team for somebody to trade up for a quarterback for. Because right. after the Colts pick, it's going to be a mad rush for that five spot to get the last remaining quarterback. And if somebody wants to wait and take that risk, they might miss yeah. out. Yeah, and that's where it's going to be an interesting dynamic, too, because uh, like we mentioned earlier, I, I don't really see the Ve uh, Las Vegas Raiders being a player for a quarterback don't see the Chicago Bears being a player. The Philadelphia Eagles, we know. You kind of get bound to like the 11 spot now where Tennessee could be a player for a quarterback. You got the Texans again at 12. The Jets at 13, you know, that would be fantastic just to mess with uh, everyone's head <laughs> if they drafted a quarterback in this situation. The New England Patriots at 14. Green Bay Packers at 15. Washington Commanders again. Now it comes back into – people becoming players again for the quarterback. And I think that's what will be interesting to see is, you know, how the actual NFL values some of these quarterbacks as you look through that list. 
um, because, again, those mock drafts, I think, are a little misleading. So we'll see if it's a, a little bit more of a feast or famine kind of approach with some of these QBs where we know maybe one and two go, but then after that, maybe a little bit of a, of a hiatus between the next quarterback that's taken. After that, the Detroit Lions at six are another team that, interestingly enough, also might be in the market for a quarterback, as I brought up earlier, because similar spot here. It's yeah. the perfect situation to draft a young guy and to develop him and then let him take over for Jared Goff. I think kind of similar to what you brought up with Gino, Jared Goff gets knocked for no reason at times, and he's a lot better than we give him credit for. So that might not be the possibility here for the Lions. They are in a very advantageous spot to actually maybe be able to pick their favorite defensive player here at yeah. this sixth spot. And I pay attention to the one thing where I think on the offensive side of the football, they are equipped to play to the identity that they want to, which is running the football. And then they've got some nice receivers with Equiminius St. Brown and Jameson Williams. They've addressed those things. But right. on defense, their secondary needs work. I would pay attention to a Christian Gonzalez or a Devin Witherspoon. And then I also think that they're very much in play for any of the defensive linemen. Edge or defensive tackle, put them on the paper for that. This is going to be a defensive pick. I would be shocked if this, if this is an offensive player right here. Yeah, I totally agree with you on this. I think 100% the Detroit Lions are going to be thinking about bolstering their defensive line or just that front seven package in general. Actually, now, especially, too, with the replacement of uh, Jeff Okuda being traded to the Atlanta Falcons, you know, then it does bring into effect of some of these great cornerbacks that are in this draft. I mean, maybe a Devin Witherspoon to the Detroit Lions in that situation. Game-changing player that just super fast and quick reaction breaks up uh, you know more passes than than you can really imagine. it's unbelievable i don't know exactly his stats but it's unbelievable how many mm. plays that dude makes that's why we need ryan ryan to be all over those stats <laughs> but you know the dude is super impressive in film making a ton of plays and it, it, that's that's where the lions i'd say stay on the defensive side of the football bolster that defensive line or they go with someone a little bit more athletic in the secondary um you know or you know a quarter safety position um because I, I just think that that has got to be something that's a little bit more of a focus for them going forward and, and making sure that they're a little bit more of a dominant presence especially in that dome you know when the crowd noise gets up and they get into these big games and start to kind of take over the nfc north you want to make sure that that defensive line and that defense can really hold down the fort and make game-changing plays for your team. Now, if we did, if we did throw yeah. out an offensive player, even by the way, I have to say one of the funniest things on Twitter that I've noticed <laughs> in the draft discussion, if you mention any offensive players for the Lions, there's like a meltdown that happens with Lions fans. I <laughs> thought that Lions fans were some of the, the calmest, nicest people, but apparently the impatience of them not winning has caught up to them at this point. Uh, right. But if you were to pick an offensive player, I'm going to throw out, I think that Michael Mayer makes the most sense if they did. Because again, they've got running back figured out. Their offensive line is is very underrated. It's one of the best in the NFL. Their receivers are great. But they don't have a tight end right now. Uh, Ryan could tell you who the starting tight end is. I can't. It's nobody good. So they're in, they could be in a spot. Oh, slow here. down, bro. Slow to down. Take, <laughs> um, to take Michael Mayer, though. I I would be shocked, right, if they were to take Michael Mayer at number six. Uh, and, mm. and I don't know, just number six pick in the NFL draft for a tight end. I mean, dude better be Travis Kelsey. 
I mean, that, that's all I'm saying. And, and I don't think that he is. I think he's going to be a solid football player. I do think he's going to be reliable. He catches the ball extremely well. Um, but I, I would be absolutely shocked if the Detroit Lions go six with tight end. You know, offensively, I mean, I don't know. Maybe this is where they go with, like, Darnell Wright right, at tackle and just solidify again, just getting more strong in the offensive line. I mean, but at the same time, offensively going after that, I would say, like, Receiver would be up there. Mm. Uh, running back would be up there. I mean, a Bijan Robinson at six. If they truly valued a running back at that pick, that would be interesting. But I really don't think. And I'm trying to look at the roster right now because I want to check to see what you, you who you're calling out right now at the tight end position. Uh, I, indirectly um, calling out. I, I realize now that it was it was a little bit more <laughs> yeah, aggressive. A little too aggressive. A little too aggressive. So sorry, James Mitchell. Rock right. Um, so just, you know, Hey, don't listen to my boy Joe here, but, um, (laughs) it's, um, it's definitely going to be an interesting pick for sure. You know, and and Mm -hmm. I don't really see Michael Mayer in that position. I really don't. And and I know that people are high on him in the draft and I know that he's been extremely productive at Notre Dame, but I I see a little bit more uh, of a pick where maybe they go receiver again. I mean, maybe this is some place where they take one of the higher level receivers available or they just stick to what they need and need right now with the defensive side of the football I think I mean there's just there's a lot of good football players I mean is this where Jalen Carter goes you know at this pick I mean putting Jalen Carter and Aiden Hutchinson on the same defensive line in obvious pass rush situations I mean those guys on the same side of the football would be an unbelievable tandem and I think that's a little bit more of the approach that the Detroit Lions want to take with their football team and and I also think that just to bring up and wrap up the point on the Lions that I've said this on the show and Ryan and I've talked about this on the show that for Jalen Carter and some of the things that he went, went went through during this, this process and some of the character concerns that have been brought up based on what's happened. I think a lot of people would agree him going to a destination that is far away from, from home is probably best for a guy like this so that they're not brought back into some of the distractions of some of their current friend groups. And if that's what might help him, I have said that Seattle or Detroit are the best two spots for him because you're going to, to establish coaching staffs, one with Dan Campbell, who is a disciplinarian type guy. And then the other with Pete Carroll, who's been around the block a million times that I think could help get Jalen Carter right and focused and then be a part of a winning culture that he feels like he's a part of something and that he can mature and become a, a bright young man, as well as a fantastic football player. So I love bringing up Jalen Carter at the spot, and I don't think he falls as far as everybody thinks he will. If yeah. he's on the board in this in this spot, I don't know how you can be as the Lions overthink this and not pull the trigger on him. Yeah, and I think you're you you're totally hitting the right point here in this situation. I think that's two organizations that you mentioned that have complete trust in their leadership and their leadership of men and making sure that they fall, you know, into the confines of what their team is all about and really building a community within the football team. So I, I definitely agree with you on that, that those two organizations, those two head coaches would be uh, phenomenal people mm. for, for Carter to be drafted and to be, uh, you know, basically taught and taken under their wing to learn how to be just men in the NFL. Now their rival in the NFC North, the Chicago bears originally held the first overall yeah. pick. They trade back to nine this is what they needed to do all along. They added a receiver in DJ Moore. And then now right. they're in a spot where 
they don't have to be as pressured to make this decision on who they want to take. They can wait to see how the board shapes out. I think with Ryan Poles being the general manager and knowing that this roster doesn't have a lot of strengths. It doesn't. But to help Justin Fields take that next step, I think we can both agree, especially you being a former quarterback, that having good offensive line play is going to help this this young quarterback progress. So for me, the two guys that make the most sense, Paris Johnson, Peter Skaronsky, maybe even Darnell Wright or Broderick Jones – I don't see this. how this isn't an offensive lineman. They, they I, need to go offensive line here. I think all of those players would be a phenomenal pick for the Chicago Bears. The question really is going to be just, you know, what part of the offensive line do you really want to focus at at that position? Because like we've discussed in previous shows, Skaronsky really is a little bit of like a swing man. I don't see him as a true right tackle, left tackle in the NFL game. I know he had great success at, success, excuse me, at Northwestern mm-hmm. at that position, but to think that he's going to go up against some of these elite pass rushers in the NFL, uh, I don't think that that's a great matchup. So I see him more as like a guard, potential center, and, and a guy that in worst-case scenarios can be moved to tackle barring injury in situations like that. Um, I, I definitely think the Paris Jones situation would be really, really enticing for them. And it, it's just adding athleticism to that position that has been lacking. And again, just protecting Justin Fields as much as possible. You know, Broderick Jones, I think, is another good one too. So it's going to be a a pretty interesting pick there. But I I totally agree with you on that one as far as stay with the offensive line and and just make sure that you're continuing to build a great support system around your franchise quarterback. Yeah, absolutely. And I think right now, one thing is for sure is that the Chicago Bears a couple months ago – we're in a state of uncertainty. And I would argue now that this team is in a very positive spot. They are in control of their destiny now that they traded back to this nine spot and they can help properly protect Justin Fields. Matt, the last one here, the Philadelphia Eagles who are picking at 10, they're the opposite of any team that we've talked about so far on today's show in the sense that their roster is complete. Their roster is good enough to get them to a Super Bowl and compete for a Super Bowl and almost win a Super Bowl. What I think is really interesting, though, here for the Philadelphia Eagles is that they have the luxury that a lot of other teams in the top 10, top 15 do not, is that Mm -hmm. they aren't desperate to fill needs. So they can pull the trigger and select a guy who some say is the best player in the draft, and that being B. John Robinson. I, even though I am a Giants fan and I don't want to see the Eagles succeed, for the sake of watching good football, I would love to watch B. John Robinson in this Eagles offense <laughs> that runs the ball as effectively as they do. Could you imagine yeah, trying to stop Jalen Hurts and Bijan? That That's going to be in, impossible. Yeah, no, it, it would be phenomenal. And, th- and that's definitely something that we discussed in previous shows too, how great that tandem would be. Um, and, and it's it's going to be fun. I, I go back to my original pick right for the Philadelphia Eagles, though, uh, a few weeks back when we did this again. I, I put Skaronsky in this position. I thought that this would be a perfect Mm. addition to their offensive line, allowing him to learn under one of the greatest centers the game has ever seen in Kelsey and allowing him to kind of, you know, build into the position of guard or center for a team that, you know, eventually, at least on the interior part, is going to need to start replacing, uh, you know, some of their veteran players. So I I think Skaronsky would be an interesting pick here for sure. Um, athletically though, I don't know. I mean, skill wise, offensively, you're loaded to be, uh, you know, to add Bijan Robinson to it 
Mm. Never a bad thing. Never a bad thing. But uh, this is where I also see maybe corner being a factor. Corner safety, I feel like could be an interesting pick uh, for them too if they value someone that highly. I mean, again, this is where I think like the Joey Porters and the Devin Witherspoons of the world, maybe they get into this situation. Or do they go with like a Lucas Van Ness and just say, Evan, mm. we're just going to make our defensive line even more badass and get younger at that position too. So that's where I find uh, the Eagles having the flexibility to kind of do a little bit of everything in those picks. I also think they have the luxury of yeah. taking somebody like Kalijah Cansey. Because the thing with Kalijah right. Cansey, we were, we were talking him a little bit about him off air, that he's a smaller guy. But he is so hard to stop on pass rushdowns because he's so low to the ground, he's yeah. so strong, and he's so quick. And a guy like that who's playing a three technique needs to be in one-on-one situations. And the way that this Eagles defensive line is built is you've got a lot of big bodies that take up space. I mean, they drafted Jordan Davis to mm-hmm. divert attention away. So you could throw Kalijah Kansi into the mix, and he doesn't need to be the primary guy. There doesn't need right. to be immense pressure on him to make plays every single down. And instead, right. you've got all these other heads, and you can rotate Kalijah into the mix and be creative with his usage. So I also would say that they're a team that is in that spot where you can deploy Kalijah Kansi, and he could start off his career – very, very well because he is not solely being focused on by opposing offensive lines. Yeah, that I I love that take a lot. Uh, I just continue to keep going back though to, uh, you know the the safety corner, mm. you know potentially linebacker position for the Eagles at this situation. I mean, offensive line. I think it would be someone like a Skaronsky, right? Someone that's on the interior part of the offensive line. But you know, it, it's when I think about their football team. I, I always seem to kind of keep going back to the defensive side of the football and just adding depth to that side as much as possible. I mean, Chansey would be awesome for sure. I mean, is this where uh, someone like Nolan Smith, right? Or even if Jalen Carter yeah. slips to number 10, is that another player like you mentioned with the with the uh, Detroit Lions? Can they pass up a player like that? Um, and really just just kind of play with, with just having extra – athletic football players around and being super dynamic with how you can call plays, you know, on, on both sides of the football. But uh, defense is definitely, I think, going to be where it's at. Yeah, Howie Roseman, man, is is running laps around some of these general managers with the picks that he's able to have as early as they're picking and being a team that played in the Super Bowl. I do also want to just add before we, we end up getting to the interview, you brought up Nolan Smith or Jalen Carter. Those are also both luxury picks that if you throw them into the mix, man, that whole group is going to be really scary. It is going to be hard to stop because you have so many great, fantastic athletes on that defensive line. Folks, we're going to be right back. We've got Daniel Jeremiah joining us really soon. Don't go anywhere. He'll be coming up very shortly. Again, make sure you follow us at Joe DeLeon, at Sims Complete QB. And then make sure you check out any of the other Believe shows that are either on Stadium's lineup or Just go to Believe.com and you can find team-specific coverage for any of your teams. If it is the Eagles or if it's the Giants with Carl Banks and Bob Papa, make sure you go and check that out. We'll be right back. We've got a special guest joining us who's hired by my current boss, Eric Weinberger, Daniel Jeremiah, NFL Draft Analyst with NFL Network. Make sure you head on over to NFL Network with all the great coverage that they've got going on and the live coverage that is happening in Kansas City, April 27th to the 29th. 
Daniel, appreciate you taking the time to hop on with us. I know that things are a little bit busy right now, but it really means a lot that you're hopping on to talk a little bit about the draft. Shoot, come on, man. Uh, it's my pleasure. Good to catch up with you guys, and we're uh, we're almost there. So it's like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just feels like we're waiting for something crazy to happen. Like, I feel Oof. like it's kind of like the calm before the storm, and so mm-hmm. I'm just waiting. Like, I'm sure, like, as we're talking, the, the Cardinals will trade, like, the third pick or something crazy. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. That's one of my fears is that I'll, I'll tape and do a show and then find out that everything we said was – was irrelevant, but that hasn't happened yet. And it's one of the things that I'm sure that we're going to talk about <laughs> a little bit today. But before we get to that, though, I, I had to take advantage of this opportunity. So I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, Matt is a quarterback coach. He founded Sims Complete QB. He does a lot of quarterback breakdowns, a lot of great stuff. And I, I had a clip of a quarterback that went to App State that I'd love to pull up and just get some thoughts from, from oh, Matt no. here. Oh, no, this is bad. This is against Wake Forest, it looks like. Matt, what are, you, what are your thoughts on this? <laughs> All right, well, I think the stance underneath center, I mean, dude is ready to go. He's braced for impact. I love just the (laughs) will, the fearlessness, the push, the leg drive. You see the lower half working. Uh, But what a clip, man. That's awesome, DJ. What a memory, too. And and Joe muted the the sound there, but it was um, that place was rocking on that touchdown. Do you remember that? Remember that play specifically? Yeah, dude. So we we uh, we're in overtime with Wake Forest. They had uh-huh. just beat Clemson like the week before, so they were okay. riding high. And we yeah. went in there, and you know we're all like plucky little App State, all of our you know <laughs> sawed off linemen that didn't get recruited by any of these ACC schools, and uh, we were like so we were we were kind of beating them up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And talking to those guys afterwards, I got to know some of them, but. Uh, uh, we get into overtime and we actually ran option pitch it and our back scored the play before that, but no mm-hmm. replay. Like, so they didn't give yeah. it to us. So they put it right on the one yard line. <laughs> so then we just, sne- we just sneak it. And I'm look, I'm there's like, go low. Like, l- l- look at me. I'm not, I'm not going to leg drive and get underneath. People. Like I'm trying to, I w- that was my attempt of trying to go over the top without jumping um, and then just extending the ball. So the cool thing is that ended up going in their facility. They have that picture of uh-huh. me extending the ball. And then Sean Clark, who was my left tackle, is now the head coach at App. So yeah. he's uh, he's standing right next to me. And it was like, dude, we got to live off that game for a couple years, and then they go beat Michigan, and it's like, Wake Forest. <laughs> Wake Forest. Beat Michigan. But hey, it's so. good to know that, you know, you you guys were really the first ones to kind of knock off, you know, the, the David and Goliath situation mm-hmm. and pass it to the next generation. You were very kind, by the way, Matt. You could have been you could have been cruel though. I appreciate you taking it easy. Dude, I mean, come on, bro. You're you're also talking to a failed quarterback here. So I know what it's like, man. You know, like we can't we can't beat each other down. We gotta appreciate the good things we did, you know, and the lessons we learned. I, 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 <laughs> you see, by the way, uh, and we'll get into the other stuff, but like yeah. I'm always curious about when you talk to former quarterbacks, like do you see like little issues or crutches or things that you had as a player and you see them in other people and you're like, man, like, can't, like I kind of get an out-of-body experience of just like my coaches must just be like so frustrated watching oh, this because sure. that was me. A- absolutely. And what's even crazier too is the fact that, you know, when you go into coaching and then you kind of look back a little bit at what you were doing as a player too, you were just like, God, what were they coaching me? Like, so it's uh, it's kind of that give and take where you're like, all right, you're, you're not going to be the, the bad coaches that you had around you. And you yeah. try to do your best to be the, you know, a different version of what you've learned from the good ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you kind of end up just making as you go and just slowly improving and, and learning the hard way so it's uh it's pretty fascinating that way that's great dude I, I just think of every time i see a noodle arm quarterback who <laughs> when you go to like when you go to like these all-star games right and, right. and they're and you just even like you're just doing one-on-ones 
and you'll watch how quick they mm. get to their fifth step. Like, yeah, I'm getting like I'm getting three yards depth. I'm getting I'm getting my five down as <laughs> right. fast as I can, so right. I get this thing up and out uh, no before doubt. they get away from me. But uh, yeah, I always laugh at that stuff. Well, oh, there, it's there's hilarious. no two better guys to to talk about quarterbacks in this in this draft and to to hear the backstory and all that stuff is is fantastic, Daniel. I really appreciate <laughs> appreciate giving the extra context there. But uh, to bring it to the relevance of the 2023 yeah. draft that we've got coming up. There's four guys right now that seem to be in contention for that for the top five right now. It's Hendon or not Hendon Hooker, Bryce Young. We've got. Oh, you can say Hendon Hooker. Don't do that, Joe. Yeah, come on, man. I was was gonna get to that, but (laughs) Anthony Richardson and Will Levis, and there's that possibility of Hendon Hooker maybe somewhere in the top ten. In your perspective, from your perspective, DJ, do you think that it's likely we have four guys going in the top five, or could somebody slide out? Could Hendon Hooker slide into the top 10? Are those things possible in the draft? If I was going to look at it right now, I think we're two weeks out today. Mm-hmm. I would say I feel comfortable saying four and seven. Like, I think the Raiders being at seven are very much a quarterback team, even with Jimmy there. I wouldn't, you know, and I've heard, you know, when you talk to different people, it seems like they're they're a Levis team. You know, every team kind of has their guy. It seems like they could be a Levis team. So um, that would give us four and seven. I would say we're more likely to see maybe – uh, you know, maybe that number slides then to see five and 10. If we got five and 10, I'll be like, oh, wow. Okay. Now it'll make the draft fun because we'll be, uh, <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll be cranking in terms of the energy level when you get that many quarterbacks going. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think Hennon Hooker goes in one, just a matter of where he goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And we had a show earlier, uh, or excuse me, our pre tape before you came on here with us that I actually thought that the Raiders would pass up on a quarterback in this situation just because of McDaniel's history with really appreciating more of the veteran, you know, leadership, Mm -hmm. especially too. I go back to the days where he had my brother in Denver, you know, and Kyle Orton and those guys never really viewed, I feel like, them loving a younger rookie type of quarterback, especially now that he's got the second chance going, you know, as a head coach, do you really see them maybe possibly pulling the trigger on Will Levis? Well, I do just from the standpoint of, you know, hearing about the conversations that existed there and and there seems to be an interest. And I I would just say, look, Levis doesn't have to get out there right away. Jimmy can be that guy. But I also think as much as I like and respect Jimmy and the results Jimmy gets, Jimmy doesn't play. Like Jimmy doesn't play a full slate. He's never played a full slate. Yeah. So I don't think you can count on him in terms of being the long-term guy. And Mm -hmm. I don't know that you can even count on him in this year and run him out there every single week. So, um, you know, I think it gives him a little something different. I I also think there's, you know, doing the Charger games for five years now, I think there is a real Mahomes effect on teams inside that division where you're like, at the end of the day, I mean – you look around the AFC and you're like, okay, it's not, is my quarterback good? It's like, is my quarterback good enough to run the gauntlet I'm going to have to run in the AFC? And to get out of this division, like it's, you have to be able to play at an elite level. You have to be able to play at a high, high, high level. Good is not good enough in that division. For sure. For sure. Great point. Yeah, absolutely. And outside of the quarterbacks, what, what seems really strange in 2023, we're so used to running backs going early in the history of the NFL. It used to be such a premier position, and that value shifted. But this year, it seems a little different. B. John Robinson's a fantastic football player. Some say mm-hmm. that he might be the best prospect in the class if we remove that positional value to his name. But uh, for you, Bijan, how early do you think he goes? What do you think is realistic for, for a player like him? 
to me, like the wild cards are Bijan Robinson and Anthony Richardson. Whereas, like you have you have no middle ground. Like nobody's like lukewarm on either one of these options. Like you're either pro taking Bijan Robinson or you're we don't take one in the first round no matter what. Yeah. And then with Anthony Richardson, you're buying the upside or you're buying kind of the floor there, the risk. So he's my third rated player in the whole draft. Um, I still think he goes in the top fifteen when it's all said and done. And part of it is because I think he's a he's a great talent. And you got to almost look at him as not just a running back, but like an offensive weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which by the way, if I'm running backs, I'm rebranding, dude. Like, just rebrand it. Don't call <laughs> totally. it running backs anymore. Totally rebrand the whole thing. Totally, um, I agree. I, no more of like, oh yeah, I'm mm-hmm. a three down back kind of guy. Just say no. You're no. a running back that actually is a great receiver that occasionally can run yeah. the ball for your team. You know, that's what you. Yeah, I'm, say I'm a I'm a receiver who lines up in the backfield some and splits <laughs> out some, and every now and then they hand me the ball. I basically want to be Debo Samuel, um, and then just you know, yeah. you can let me dabble. I don't yeah. want to major in, in running the football. I, minor in that. I, yeah. I'd throw in there someone like Deuce Vaughn kind of fits being able to do that because he's a gadget player. He's tiny. They put him in the slot at Kansas State. They moved him all over the place. But like he's the first person who comes to mind who you can almost make that that argument for for offensive weapon because that's that's what he was at Kansas State. Yeah. Well, if if I had any advice to running backs too, it's like there were times when you'd ask guys to work out at different positions and they took it as an insult. Like I would be begging people, like, hey, would you like to see me play receiver? Can anybody <laughs> want to see me uh, run, some, yeah. run some routes out here? Yeah, um, but so I, in terms of where he goes, I, I couldn't pinpoint the team. Um, I can make the case that I think Philly makes the most sense from mm-hmm. my perspective. But then having worked in that scouting department, I know they just don't – they flat out don't believe in taking running backs. Yeah. Um, so I don't think that they will do it. But, you know, to kind of – put a bow on the whole, do you take a running back? Do you not take one? I just feel like I don't, if, if you look at a running back as having five years, maybe six years of their prime and it starts as soon as they enter the league. Yeah. I don't want to waste any of those carries. So if you're a bad, you know, most teams picking in the top 10 are bad teams. So I'm going to use three of his six years of, on his shelf life. And I'm going to use, just waste these carries in meaningless games. Where we're not a winning football team. Yeah. Right. Whereas in the way it happened with the Eagles with this trade, they end up with the 10th pick. This is a Super Bowl team. If he only played, let's say he only played the contract, the one contract, five years, every single carry over those five years is meaningful. Like they yeah. all matter Huge and they're value. all difference making car- uh, carries. So I can make that case. And I, I would I would love to see him do it. But just I'm telling you, man, like off the ball linebackers and running backs like, yeah, like, OK, we'll talk about those guys. Let's we're going to go over the first round guys now. We'll get we'll get to those positions later. That's yeah. just how they think. Well, with the two picks in the first round, I do see the Eagles maybe being a team that slips in on that second first round pick that they have. And, and if he's still there, maybe taking a chance with them saying, hey, we're going to yeah. double dip in the first round. We're going to get the best player available for us. And that's Bijan Robinson, especially if they land somebody like Skaronsky there early. That's uh, has been my pick for the Eagles mm-hmm. uh, with that first pick. And not saying that I'm doing any mock drafts like you, man. So I, I'm nowhere near. You oh, know, level, by the but. way, <laughs> I, I, I could literally my my boys, uh, one's a freshman at Baylor, one's a freshman in high school, mm-hmm. and I could have them fill out a mock draft the night before the draft. And I'm telling you, they would have just as good a chance to hit as many right as <laughs> No doubt. It's a, it's no a doubt. futile exercise. One trade happens and you're just like, well, oh, so yeah. much for that. I yeah, just ruined it, the whole thing. Yeah, it sounds like our brackets for the uh, NCAA tournament. Um, 
Did you have any in the final four, by the way? No, no. I didn't even make one this year. I mean, that's, you know, I got, I got a 19, <laughs> uh, 19 month year old at home right now, too. So oh, my, wow, my yeah, time, yeah. you know, for making brackets is over right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got to you got to push the pause button on that one. No yeah, doubt. I, I think I was out by like the elite. I don't think I had anybody in the elite eight. I'm like, I, I don't know no, like, like, college basketball, but usually you can just grab a couple blue bloods and throw them in there. <laughs> right, right. Not so this like, year. What the hell? What, what's going on? Yeah, and I felt bad because I live in San Diego and San Diego State's playing in the championship game. I think I had him losing <laughs> yeah. like a second round. Uh, unbelievable. Yeah, what a hater. Um. But, by the way, speaking of unexpected, though, I, I, we mentioned this earlier. I, I know it's a bit of an open-ended, difficult question to answer because, again, anything can happen in the first round. But if you were to maybe predict, like if you thought something crazy could happen, maybe it's somebody goes in the first round, like a, like a Peyton Turner is the one that I always think of. of yeah. No one thought he was going to be a first-round pick, and he was. Who do you think, or last year um, we had, oh my God, I'm completely blanking on Cole Strange, the, the Patriots pick yeah. was also unexpected. That's buzz. If you th- thought that there was something like that that could happen on draft night, what do you think maybe that could be? Well, I could give you uh, a couple names here. The The big receivers are hard to find in this draft. They're the, most of them are 170, 180 pounds. They're, mm-hmm. they're smaller guys. Mm-hmm. Good players, but just not prototypical guys. So if you look at who some of these bigger receivers are, Put Quentin Johnson to the side. Um, to me, Cedric Tillman from Tennessee, who's 215-plus pounds, a really good complete receiver, and then Mingo from from Ole Miss. Both those guys are big, physical. Uh, they play fast. I know Mingo ran the 4-4s. I think uh, uh, Tillman was mid-4-5s but plays faster than that. I just think the draft is not great at that position. And those guys stand out because everybody else is just so dang small. So mm-hmm. you, you get yourself a big receiver option if you're a team looking for one late in round one. Yeah, great point. And, and what is, in your opinion, you got your top 10, you know, you got your mock yeah. drafts, all that. But who would be, if you were a GM in this draft, is your dark horse pick where you're like, man, I, if this guy comes around when we're when we're picking, we're taking him. Who's your, you know, dark horse pick that you you got your eyes on? Well, I mean, I think he's got a chance to go really high. But when I, I put out my first list in January, he wasn't really in that mix. Um, but Witherspoon, the corner from Illinois, is just a totally. he's an animal, man. So, and it just there's there's something about the the qualities that he possessed reminded me of when I was with the Ravens. Like that's the kind of guy that we like. That's the kind of guy yeah. that we wanted to bring in the building. Who's just ultra ultra competitive, feisty. He plays with no pause button on the controller, man. Like it is just it. He sees it, he trusts it, he goes. Yeah. Um, so th- those qualities to to him, I think he's going to be an outstanding player. And I know early on in the process, it was like, oh, he's 180 pounds, and maybe he'll go. I'm like, dude, he's to me grade wise. When I evaluate him, I thought he's a better player than Denzel Ward. He might not be quite as fast as he was. But Denzel Ward went in the top five. Um, and and lo and behold, as we get towards the draft, it's like, oh yeah, he's a lock. He'll go in the top ten. Yeah, it's yeah. All said. Well, I think what happens is for him, and you watch his film, you slowly just start to move away from whatever the measurables say, and you start Mm -hmm. to just see his reaction to the football, Mm -hmm. his toughness, his grittiness. I mean, it's just there's something about him on the football field. You're absolutely right that just pours out of a a confidence that you see like a Jalen Ramsey or Marcus, a young Marcus Peters having on the field, right, that that has that attitude to be like, you know, I'm going to lock this guy down and the amount of plays that he makes on the field, uh, especially to the field, you know, yeah. and the wide side of the field and in college, I just was astounded by that. Yeah, he's like a uh, um, 
a little bit. To me, he reminded me the, the vibe I got when I watched Sauce going into last year's draft. I'm right. like, the guy looks like he's playing with so much energy and enthusiasm to right. go along with all the playmaking that you see and, the, and just the, the, the confidence. I just, I love that in corners. I don't, I haven't been around many quiet corners that were great players. So these <laughs> right. guys, uh, right. they're a little different. I guess, I guess, I don't know if Aeneas Williams, maybe you go back in the Wayback Machine, you can find a couple, but most of those guys are, are pretty energetic, pretty enthusiastic out there. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, that's all we got for you today, DJ. Really appreciate you taking the time. I know you got to get running uh, with with everything you got going on, getting ready for the draft. This was the first team on Stadium. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. We'll be back next week with more.